Well, thank you for being here today. Uh, you know, I knew when I pastored all those years that the Sunday after Thanksgiving would be a good day to be gone, okay? Because a lot of people wouldn't notice because they were gone too. And uh, not only is the day after the Sunday after Thanksgiving uh, traditionally a, a, a uh, low attendance day, y'all had a huge Sunday last week. And, and you know, people were here. And, and I'm not trying to be ugly, but I found out that there were folks in my churches that, that they just, it was just really hard for them to come two weeks in a row. So if they were going to be there last week, you know, they would probably not be there the next week, you know. So, uh, so anyway, there was a lot of people here last week, and, and, and uh, thank, you, thank you for being here. Uh, this is the first Sunday of Advent, and, and we're going to start, uh, uh, even though I won't finish Advent with you, your new pastor will finish Advent with you. Uh, I'm going to start Advent today by talking about what the true meaning of Christmas what is the true meaning of Christmas? Now, this is a true story, guys. Several years ago, one of my friends was pastoring a church, and, and, and this young lady came up to him after the service one day, and she said, Pastor, I really need to have a conference with you. I really need to visit with you. And he said, okay, well, you know, why do you need to, to you know, just give me a little hint about what this is about? And she said, I'm just so confused about the true meaning of Christmas. Now, this was a woman that was in church, okay? And she was confused about the true meaning of Christmas. Then I, I saw a, uh, a, a card not long ago, and, and it, uh, well, a cartoon, and it showed this boy, and he was, he was holding a Christmas card, and it had a picture of, of the baby Jesus and the wise men there and it, at Christmas. And he looked at his buddy, and he said, Great, now they're even trying to drag religion into Christmas. You know. I mean, think about it. But that's how some people think today. They think about uh, all the, the, the trappings of Christmas, but they don't think about the true meaning of Christmas. That's why we have, uh, I don't know about up here, but, but down in San Antonio where I pastored for many years, they, they don't have the Christmas holidays. You know, they have, they have the winter holidays uh, nowadays. You, you couldn't say Christmas anymore. It was winter. And, and so, you know, we're trying to take the true meaning of Christmas out of the holidays. Now, guys, we're never going to give up our holidays, right? I mean, nobody's going to give up their holidays. They just want to make them secular. They just want to take the true meaning of Christmas out of Christmas. But what is, what really happened? What, what is the one thing that happened at Christmas that's never happened before and, and will never happen again? What is that one thing? That one thing that happened. Now, now don't get me wrong. I, I love this time of year. And, you know, I love the trees, the lights, the gifts, the cards. And, and if that's all Christmas was, I would still think it was worthwhile. Because, you know, this time of year, people are just a little nicer to each other. You know, a little more friendly. So it would be worthwhile if it wasn't about the true meaning of Christmas. But... But guys, what happened at Christmas that's never happened before and will never happen again? Well, our text tells us, Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be 
married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. What happened that had never happened before and will never happen again? Well, we call it the incarnation. It literally means the assumption by a divine being of a human or animal form. As Christians, we believe that there's only been one real incarnation. Jesus, God's Son, coming to earth as a man. But we need to to understand that this idea of incarnation is not distinctive to the Christian faith. There are other faiths that, that have some ideas about incarnation. In Hinduism, Rama, the hero of the epic Ramayana, was later regarded as divine and later still regarded as the incarnation of the god Vishnu. In Egypt, the king, of, uh, the king or the pharaoh, as they called him, was almost always seen as a god incarnate. But only in Christianity is the incarnation such a linchpin to our faith. I mean, without the incarnation, guys, hear this. Without the incarnation, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the incarnation, there is no uh, substitutionary work of Christ on the cross to take the punishment for all of us. Without the incarnation, we have no hope. Without the incarnation, we have no place in the family of God. The incarnation is truly a linchpin. It is, it is absolutely vital to our faith. But before we look at three simple fundamental reasons why the incarnation is a linchpin to our faith, let's look at a very important part of the incarnation, and that is the virgin birth. You know, people uh, for years, Christians have been cut along lines. Are you liberal? Are you conservative? Are you fundamentalist? All these different things. And they, they mean so many different things. And when somebody asks me, where do you stand? I always say, well, define what you mean first. <laughs> define what you mean by that, and then I'll tell you where I am. Okay? But, but one of the fundamentals of our faith, and it's not negotiable, guys. It is not negotiable. And that is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. That's a fundamental of our faith. And you know, in our world today, everybody wants to explain away everything. But the reality is without the virgin birth of Christ, then Jesus Christ is not who he said he was and is, and there is no forgiveness of our sins. The virgin birth does not mean that, that Mary was without sin, okay? 
Do you hear that? <laughs> there was only one sinless person, and that's Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean that Mary was without sin. Uh, there's no doubt she was a wonderful young woman, or God would not have chosen her to, to, to be the mother of Jesus. But it does not mean that she was without sin. Number two, the, the pregnancy and the birth of Jesus Christ were normal. You know that? The pregnancy and the birth of Jesus Christ were normal. Now, now here's the difference. The conception of Jesus Christ was, was not at all normal. It was one of a kind. It was, it was conceived by God, conceived by God in Mary's womb. And why was this important? It's really, really important because Jesus was fully God and yet at the same time fully man. He had to be conceived of the living God to be fully God. Born of a woman, fully man. The virgin birth does not mean that Mary was, was, was without sin and, and the pregnancy and the birth were normal. The conception was anything but normal. You see, the, the, the virgin birth affirms the sovereignty of God. Think about this. Hundreds of years before, hundreds of years before, God's prophet predicted the events that would take place when Jesus was born. Now think about this. Our God saw a need. What was that need? That we needed a Savior. God saw a need. So when he saw that need, he created a plan. He created a plan to send his one and only, his only begotten son, perfect in every way to come to be our Savior. So God saw a need, he created a plan, and then he made it happen. <coughs> Excuse me. He made it happen. He saw a need, he created a plan, and then he made it happen. You see, God was in control the whole time. He was in control the whole time. And he's still in control, even though sometimes we don't see it. So the virgin birth affirms the sovereignty of God. And the virgin birth removes any chance of any kind of mistake happening. When Jesus was conceived by the very Holy Spirit of God, it meant that the very blood coursing through his veins, while human, was also fully divine never tainted with sin, pure, holy. So, you had all of that. The virgin birth resulted in what? Jesus being fully God and fully man. Now you say, well, no, wait a minute. <clears throat> How can you be fully this and fully that? Well, you see, things that are impossible for us are possible with God. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, let's say that Jesus had a good mom and dad. And he did. You know, he did. We, uh, one of my favorite uh, characters in the whole Bible is Joseph. <laughs> you know, he, he did. He had good parents. But, but, you know, 
Let's say that he had a great family. Some of us came from great families. You know, he, he would come from a good family, but he wouldn't be God. Uh, let, let's say that he, he dropped, you know, down from heaven as an angel with no father and mother. He just appeared. Now, that, you know, God could have done that, right? He could have just sent Jesus, you know, just to come down here and just appear, you know. He'd be pure. He would be fully God. But he wouldn't be fully man. Think about that. Jesus was God's spirit invading. Well, what, what, now some people believe this, that Jesus was God's spirit invading a man that was already here. Okay? Joseph and Mary had this baby. They were good parents. God decided, okay, I'm going to take my spirit and I'm going to put that into this little boy named Jesus and he's going to become my savior on the earth. That's called adoptionism, okay? That, that's called adoptionism. Well, well, he would not be fully God and he certainly wouldn't be perfect if that had taken place. But there are people out there that believe all of these different things. But Jesus was born of a virgin. Mary impregnated by the very Holy Spirit of God. And all of this is so important because a completely supernatural Savior cannot take sinful man's place. You ever thought about that? A completely supernatural Savior cannot take sinful man's place. A completely natural Savior has no supernatural help. A sinful Savior is no Savior at all because he is not a perfect sacrifice and God requires holy, perfect sacrifice. But Jesus was being both fully God and fully man at the same time, being both supernatural and fully natural at the same time, being both king and and peasant at the same time was the only one who could take our place in judgment and forgive us of our sins. Very, very important. Very, very important that we don't let people water down our, the message that is the true kerygma, the true kernels of truth that we know. And that is that Jesus Christ... Born of Mary, born of a virgin, conceived by the very Holy Spirit of God, fully man, fully God, fully supernatural, fully natural. So why the incarnation? It's very simple. The incarnation tells us three things that are very, very important, things that we never, ever, ever need to forget. Number one, it reveals God. The incarnation is for revelation. It reveals God. People throughout all of history have sought God. Even Jesus' disciples said, you know, Jesus, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. You ever thought about that? Show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And what did Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Pretty simple. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What is God like? Down through history, everybody wants to know what God's like. Jesus said, well, if you don't want to know what God's like, look at me. 
That's what God's like. Exactly like Jesus. In 1963, Princeton lectures, the, German, the great German theologian Karl Barth was asked by a student, do you think God has revealed himself in any other religions? Now, this is a great question. It's a question for today. Because I know Christians. I know Christians that say, well, you know, <clears throat> God revealed himself. He's revealed himself in Islam, and he's revealed himself in Hinduism. And, he, you know, it doesn't make any difference what you believe. Just believe it sincerely. Let me tell you something. That's just not true. The Bible doesn't say that. But this student at 1963 Princeton Lectures asked Dr. Karl Barth, has God revealed himself in any other religions? What did he say? No. God has not revealed himself in any religion, including Christianity. God has revealed himself in his son, period. Think about it. He's revealed himself in his son. Son, the essence of our faith is that Jesus Christ is God. S.D. Gordon said, and I quote, Jesus is God spelling himself in language that man can understand. I love that. Don't you love that? Jesus is God spelling himself in language that man can understand. Michelangelo expressed himself in art and Handel expressed himself in music and Shakespeare in prose and verse, but God expressed himself in flesh and blood, Son, Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God. And when people saw Jesus, that twinkle in his eye, that smile on his face, warm handshake, warm hug, even a tear of sadness for his loved ones, God became man and dwelt among us. That's Christmas, guys. That's what Christmas is all about. That the omnipotent, omniscient creator of all the universe became flesh and blood and dwelt among us to save us of our sins. That is Christmas. That is the kernel that we can never lose. That is what it's all about. The incarnation was for God to reveal himself to us. The incarnation was also for identification, though. Not only to reveal himself, but also to identify with us. Jesus' favorite term for himself was what? The Son of Man. That's what Jesus called himself. Now, other people called him lots of different things. We call him lots of different things. But Jesus called himself the Son of Man. F.A. Robertson wrote this, There is in Jesus no national peculiarity or individual idiosyncrasy, he was not the son of a Jew or the son of a carpenter, nor the offspring of the modes of living of that particular century. He was, very plainly, the son of man. He was the son of man. 
Hebrews 4.15 tells us, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. You see, here's another problem many Christians have. We, we don't have any problem to believe that Jesus was perfect, that he was holy, but we have a real problem believing that Jesus was tempted to sin. Oh, Jesus was above that. No, Scripture says he wasn't. Scripture says he was tempted. And he understands us. He understands when we are tempted. No, he never sinned like we do. But he understands. You see, the incarnation was not only for God to reveal himself to us. The incarnation was also so that God could identify himself with us. So that we could know that he understands us. The incarnation was for identification. None of us can say, well, you know what? Jesus just doesn't understand where I'm at. Jesus just doesn't understand the temptations I feel. Jesus doesn't understand where I'm at. Jesus doesn't understand my pain. He doesn't understand my suffering. He doesn't understand my condition. Fully man. Jesus understands. He understands. And finally, the incarnation was not only for God to reveal himself. It was not only for God to identify himself with us. It was for our salvation. Jesus came so that we might have life. He came to give us life above our weakness and our sin. Jesus was born. The God of all the universe was born in a barn. He grew into a young man. He learned as he grew. He worked for a while as a carpenter. He was always teaching the things of God. For The Bible says he was always about his father's business. He was always doing his father's will. Jesus healed the sick. He brought sight to the blind. He raised the dead. Jesus felt empathy and love. He cried. He wept. He loved. And Jesus died on a cross for our sins. And when he did, he said something very simple, something very profound. I want you to think about this, guys. I want you to hear this. You see, we think of Christmas as the cradle, but we need to understand that If there was no cross to go to, there would have been no manger. From the very moment that Jesus was born, he was on that road to the cross. Other people didn't know it, but he knew it. Now think about this. When it was all said and done, what did he say? It is finished. It is finished. What did he mean? Well, this is what he meant. He meant that sacrifice is finished. There's no more need to to, to sacrifice animals at the altar in the temple. This sacrifice covers all. Sacrifice is finished. The Holy of Holies, finished. The curtain is torn in two. 
And now every man can walk into the very presence of God covered by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. The Holy of Holies, it's finished. Death, finished. We no longer need to fear death. Yes, death is still a reality. And yes, unless Jesus comes back, all of us are going to walk from this life through that thing we call death. But the Bible says we don't have to fear it anymore. Death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Because we move from this life of trouble into glory. Now, death is finished. You know what else is finished? Damnation for those who believe. You know what? That's finished. It's done. It's over. We need not fear hell. Those who believe in me will never truly die, but have eternal life. Hell is finished. So the incarnation, Jesus Christ coming, fully man, fully God, so that God could reveal himself to us, so that we could identify with him and he could identify with us, and so that he could bring us salvation. It is finished. Now my children can come home. My children can come home. It is finished. See, guys, that's what Christmas is all about. I know we think about the birth and then Easter, we think about the death and the resurrection. Jesus was born fully God, fully man, so that he could make that perfect sacrifice on that cross. So that at the end of that horrible business, right before he went on to be with the Father again, he could say, it is finished. Your separation from me is finished. I provide for you a way to come home. That's what Christmas is all about. Guys, I don't know about you. I like Christmas trees. I like all that stuff. But it pales in comparison to what Christmas is all about. Amen? Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, born of a virgin, so that after the terrible work he did on that cross, he could say, it is finished. You can come home.